We all know how hard it is to grow, right? Especially if we are in the first month or years of our journey, of our business startup, or we're coaching, or we're writing, and we want to spread the word about us. We all know that it is pretty difficult to get the word out there. But that's exactly where I come in. I want to host an ad about your business into my podcast, Impact by Choice. So look me up on LinkedIn, Andrada Anite. I would love to work with you further on, and I would love to help you boost the visibility of your brand. Welcome to Impact by Choice podcast with your host, Andrada Aniti. I have the great pleasure to have with me today a guest that is a leadership development coach and a writer in the same time. So to my surprise, uh, it's such a nice um, combination. So without further ado, I just want to introduce to you Virginie. Welcome to, um, to the show, Virginie. Am I saying your name correctly, Virginie Lemay-Riest? Is it okay? Almost, yes. Virginie okay. Lemay-Frieste. Thank you, Anita. Lemay-Frieste. Okay. And, sorry, Andrade. It's okay. Don't worry. I mean, um, you're, you originate from France, right? Yes. Yes, correct. Okay. Well, I haven't been spoken French in, I think... Nine years now, so sorry if I misspelled your name, but that's okay. No, it's very good already. So thank you very much for having me as well. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Virginie. I want to go straight in and ask you. I know that I wrote your book, uh, My Revenge on Life, and I also wrote a review for it. Um, I was stunned to read your story. So please go ahead, introduce yourself a bit, and then. Tell us a bit about the book. Sure. So as you rightly mentioned, I am originally French. Um, I grew up in, uh, in northern France, so near the Belgian border. And I studied there. I studied like foreign languages. And after my studies, I went to Germany for a training period. And actually, that was the start of my expat life, basically. I got a job there, stayed there for a year and a half, then moved to the Netherlands, to Italy, back in the Netherlands, and now Luxembourg. And uh, during uh, all this time, I've worked for big international companies, uh, the last one being Amazon. And last year, I decided to take the plunge and start uh, my own business as as a coach. Uh, so I've decided to help uh, expats and also professionals in uh, international organizations. Um, why? Because, again, I feel that with my experience, I've been an expat for more than 20 years. Also, I've been leading teams for more than 20 years and always international teams. So um, that's where I feel I can definitely use my skills and my experience to help people. And during the time when I was uh, in the Netherlands, so it's almost 20 years ago actually now, I had a very big car accident. Um, I was actually coming back from France. I went to pick up my mom uh, to spend some time uh, with me in the, in the Netherlands for, for a few weeks when we got hit by a big truck under a tunnel. 
So I ended up in the hospital and in Belgium, the accident took place in Belgium. And then the bad news started. I asked to be repatriated in France because it was easier for me to speak French and also to be closer to my family. And there the bad news continued and um, the doctors basically told me I had to stay six weeks in bed uh, with um, not being able to stand up obviously, not even sitting down. And they said that um, if I was not uh, better after six weeks, then I would have to get other operations. Thank God it went well. And after the, the six weeks, um, the doctors told me we, we have a confession to make. Actually, we thought you would be paralyzed. And my, my world really stumbled because I was like, oh my God, what if I really had become paralyzed? I, I don't know what I would have done because I've always been very independent. I've always liked to travel a lot. So thank God, as I said, I was not paralyzed, but I had to start again um, learning to walk like a baby. So I spent also a few weeks again in a wheelchair, going every day to the swimming pool to start to learn walking step by step, because obviously with the water, the, the weight uh, of your body weighs less. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started to, to learn to walk again. And then when I walked normally, um, the doctors also told me, yeah, you won't be able to wear high heels anymore. You may limp, uh, etc." And then again, I continued. I was like, there is no way I'm going to limp. There is no way I'm not going to wear high heels. And I continued. And uh, yeah, and 20 years later, here I am and uh, trying to enjoy life as much as I can. I learned to dance salsa in between and I dance salsa with high heels. And I'm sure that if, um, if doctors uh, who operated me then saw me, they would be very, very surprised. So, so yes, that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, and this is actually the story that you put in your book, right? Exactly. Yes, I obviously put uh, more details, but basically it's just my journey from the day of the accident until now, let's say, yes. If I may, I would like to dive in a bit into your experience back then so that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can help some people that might find themselves in a similar situation. What was the hardest uh, of the aspects for you to overcome? Obviously, besides the fact that you were immobilized and you weren't given chances to walk again. And what, what, what was actually the greatest challenge during all this time? So for me, the biggest challenge at the beginning, it was to be dependent on everyone for every single thing. So I had also my, my left arm was broken, um, my pelvis was broken, and I was under attraction. And because I only had one arm and one hand I could use, just imagine you get your meal for lunch. And at that time, I was still eating meat, and I had to cut my meat, well, you have a fork in your hand, but how do you cut your meat? You cannot hold your, your plate or your, your meat or you can't have the mess. Right. So I had to ask people to help me cut my meat. Same thing to brush your teeth. You have a brush, to, a toothbrush in your hand, but how do you put the, tooth, the um, toothpaste mm -hmm. on the toothbrush with one hand? So all these little things that we take for granted every day, I could not do them. And every time having to ask people, can you please put the toothpaste on my toothbrush? Can you please help me cut my meat? Can you help me brush my hair? 
Uh, even if I was laying down, I still wanted to have my hair brushed. And again, with one hand and with long hair, as you know, mm -hmm. it's challenging. So for the first few weeks, I really, really had to swallow my pride to say, okay, Virginie, there is no other way. You cannot do everything on your own. You have to depend on the, on the nurses and the doctors. And my mom has been amazing. She came every day to, to visit me as well. Uh, she, she was also there to, to help me. So I think that was the toughest at the beginning is really to depend on every single person around me. And as I said, because I've always been very independent, always try to, to do things on my own, uh, this was this was the hardest, yes. Wow, that that must have been really really harsh indeed. Um, but as an independent woman today, um, what would you tell to young women? Let's say uh, to to young girls in high school, so to say, right? Mm -hmm. um, adults to be tomorrow. What would you advise them in order to become independent? Um, starting even from high school, because I think that is a proper age for people to start learning for themselves, I mean, thinking for themselves and, you know, just filtering the, the information. So what would be your advice for them? I would tell them first, they need to take care of themselves uh, health-wise. Mm -hmm. So make sure that they eat healthy, that they take time for themselves, because if only when they are healthy can they take care of themselves and other people. And one of the things um, that contributed to my uh, recovery in the hospital is because I was already quite healthy. I had always done sports in the past and all the doctors told me we were very afraid you, you become paralyzed, but because you were such in a good shape, um, quote unquote, uh, when you arrived, that, that helped um, your recovery. I was not overweight. I didn't have any uh, disease, etc. And that's what helped me. So my advice is to all the young people and especially the young women over there, don't underestimate your health. Of course, when we're young, we want to, to be a bit crazy and, do, and eat everything and, uh, and do lots of fun stuff. And that's fine. But don't forget yourself because you never know what may happen and, and your health is, is your wealth, as, as I say. And in that case, I know that the fact that I was pretty healthy, this is what helped my recovery. That, that's one good advice. Um, I'm, I'm sure that in those moments, the, there was something else though that helped you recover. And uh, from the post that I saw from you, um, us both knowing each other from LinkedIn, I, I do strongly believe that your mindset also helped you. What, what was the contribution that um, you had with your mindset to your healing process? Yeah, you're right as well. This, um, I would say there are three things, and this one is probably the most important one, is to stay positive. Um, when even when I was laying down and again the bad news kept happening to me I of course I fell down and I cried and I also felt oh my god it's never gonna end but deep down I knew okay Virginie it's a temporary situation it is going to get better you are going to go through this 
And to me, there was no doubt that I would walk again and I would catch up with my life again when I would be better. So the fact that I stayed positive, I saw that, as I say, as a, as a challenge, definitely a big challenge. But deep down to me, I had no, no other idea than, okay, this is temporary. I don't know how long it's going to take, but sooner or later, I'll be back on my, on my feet again. And also the doctors told me as well, it's because first you were in a healthy shape or healthy state, also because you stayed positive. And that's one of the reasons actually why they never told me while I was laying down that uh, I may become paralyzed because they said you were always positive, laughing, full of energy. We didn't want to take, give you the, the bad news because we were afraid you would become depressed. Mm -hmm. And when they told me that, I had mixed feelings because on one hand, I was like, well, it was my body. So in a way, I would have liked to know. But on the other hand, I think, yeah, they probably actually did the right thing. Because if I had heard while I was laying down that I may become paralyzed, I probably would have worried. Mm -hmm. And then I would not have, um, maybe I would not be where I am now. So definitely the, the positive mindset is a uh, is something that helped and since then I am convinced that everything that we put in our mind is what makes us in the end. Um, if we think positive, positive things will happen and on the opposite if we say negative things to ourselves we attract negative things so definitely the advice is even if a situation seems um, completely hopeless even when you feel desperate, and sometimes you do feel desperate, but there is always, always uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and there is always hope. And this thing, this, the, the fact um, that I stay positive is definitely something that helped me for sure. That's great to know. And thank you for mentioning, you know, the light of the tunnel, because I, I forgot to mention that the subtitle of the book is how I saw uh the light mm -hmm. the tunnel, right correct yes yeah it's it's uh both metaphorically and literally in in your case um let me ask you something else in regards to positive mindset i know that most of the times when we are in such a situation like the one you were in people around us um can i, I mean they force themselves to be to behave as strong people around us but mm -hmm sometimes they fail. How did you manage to keep your own positive mindset in this very situation? Um, having read your book, I know that people tried to encourage you on the way, but um, now I'm, I'm asking you from your own perspective, having been there and witnessing the entire situation, you know, because I can only imagine how it was but I would like to know from, from your own perspective, how do you manage um, to, you know, just, as I said, just to keep your mindset so strong and just see the positivity in this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know, I've always been very driven. Uh, when I have a goal, I'll do everything I can to, to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And... Just I don't know how long it will take, but I know I will make it. And by staying focused, doing what I have to do, um, then that's, that's how I manage it. Um, I remember as well when I was in the hospital, 
my grandmother came and when she saw me with my traction and everything, she started to cry and I had to comfort my grandmother to tell her, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Uh, I know it looks worse than it is actually because I couldn't feel anything. It really looked scary, but I, I personally couldn't, couldn't feel anything. And I don't know, I've, I've always been like that, always this person was seeing the, the glass half full that has empty. Um, and, and again, with my experience in the hospital, that was the best proof that, that I was right when, when you stay positive. So as I said, how I manage, as I said, well, have a goal, stay focused, and no matter what, happened around, uh, what happens around you, just keep your eyes uh, on the ball or on your goal and, and do whatever you need to do. And in my case, that was working every single day, doing one step and then two steps and then three steps, etc. Slowly but surely, but eventually you get there. And that was the same with everything else in, in my life, whether it was my studies or after finding a job, etc. I always had this goal and I was like, okay, I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know where I'm going to end, but I know I will find a job and I will pass my exam. So as I said, always been driven and, and focused um, and always positive. Um, that's, that's how I've managed, I guess. That's great. That's great. Uh, let's take this a bit in, in a different area since you uh, mentioned being determined on, and always, um, you know, going with focus on everything yes. that you do. Is this, um, I presume that this is the exact way that you, you operate, so to say, in, um, uh, in your business, right? Tell us a bit about your business, please. Correct. Yes. So um, what I do, as I say, I help um, experts and professionals working in the international organization uh, optimize their potential. And what I like to do is really looking at, okay, what are people's challenges? Mm -hmm. and where do they want to go? And, and try to find um, a way or a, a sense of how they are like and what is their, um, I'm not going to say weakness, but their areas of improvement. Mm -hmm. Because we all have uh, things to, to improve. And by just talking to them, by, by trying to find out, okay, here I hear some words that you keep using. Maybe some people, they don't realize it, but they will say, well, maybe, I'm not sure. They will doubt themselves. And just by trying to change their mindset or making them aware that, mm -mm, stop saying maybe, say I will, not I maybe uh, will do this. No, remove the maybe, I will. Um, instead of saying, uh, I'm not sure, no, I am sure, I believe, all these things. So it's really by making people aware of their, their challenges um, that um, that's, I try to, to help them. Obviously, using my, my experience as well, as I said, I've been leading international teams for, for many years. Um, the last company I worked for was Amazon. I was a senior manager for quality for the customer service in Europe. And then I was the senior manager for learning and development, also for customer service in Europe. And there I had multinational teams. So with people coming from different cult countries, different cultures, different time zones. And there you, you notice that everybody has struggles. Everybody um, has challenges. And I don't mean 
personally, but like just communicating uh, because English was not uh, everybody's native language and you know it exactly as I do, uh, Andrada, uh, that sometimes some words may not mean the same thing for you or for me, or maybe we use expressions that are not 100% correct. So you always have to be mindful and by bringing this awareness to people, by giving them the time to, to react by listening to them, this is how I try to, to guide them and challenge them and make them aware that certain things can change by just changing little things. And, and I've seen that several times. Uh, again, I've, um, I've also, when I was working in Amazon, I've uh, mentored and coached different people and I've helped them getting promoted or going to new jobs. And, and sometimes I don't feel I've done much, but they all tell me, yes, you told me this, or you made me aware of that. And that's, that's how I try to, to help people. I same thing with expats um, a lot, or people who want to become expats. They, um, it's, oh, we always see going abroad as a, as a big, nice thing. Oh, it's great going to a new country, uh, seeing new things, and it sounds exciting. But going there on holiday and leaving there are two different things. So I also make them aware, well, make sure you make your research, make sure you check this. Uh, if you're in this situation, well, maybe you should think about this or that. So, again, I try to challenge them and make them aware of certain things so that afterwards the, they, they have all the, the tools or the, or the tricks to, to go further and, and to, to, to move forward. That's wonderful. And I've heard two key words uh, in your reply mm -hmm. uh, just now. One of them is uh, diversity. So you kind of, not kind of, for sure, you embraced diversity. And I would like mm -hmm. you to um, recount us a bit about your experience with diversity, because this is a very, very dear topic to me. Yes. And then there's something else that I want to tell you, but it will take it one step at a time. Sure. So yes, diversity is also a, a big topic for me. I'm a huge fan of diversity. And the funny thing is that there was nothing from the beginning that was uh, pulling me towards that direction. Because I grew up, as I told you, in Northern France, in a, in a small town with only white people, uh, mainly Catholic people. So I've never had the opportunity to be with um, other people than, as I say, white French people. Well, I don't know, uh, somehow since I was like maybe nine or 10 years old, I've always wanted to learn languages. I've always wanted to go abroad because that was something I was always interested in. And as I said, I studied foreign languages, so that was already step one. And from then on, I knew I wanted to go abroad. And um, I told you I went to the, the different countries. Mm -hmm. And every time I've been fortunate to have jobs where I had to manage um, multicultural teams. I started to manage a German team, so mainly with German speakers, so from Germany, Switzerland, Austria. Then I set up um, a team where we were doing support in French and English first. And then after a few months, we were supporting five languages across Europe. And I remember I had 41 team members from 17 different nationalities. So that's how I started to deal with, um, with diversity. Um, and then again, um, I went, I 
did different. I traveled a lot for my jobs. I went to different countries: the U.S., Poland, Tunisia, etc., to help set up teams, uh, set up processes, etc. Then went to Italy. So that's probably one of the time where I was not so diverse because I was in a, in Italy working mainly with Italian people. But because at that time I wanted to learn Italian and it was new, so for me it was kind of diverse. Uh, but I probably that would be the least diverse um, experience I had, let's say. And then I went back to the Netherlands and I was hired in a, in a big uh, bank, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, that was formerly ABN AMRO. And I was hired to set up a team in India. So I went as well um, a few times in, in India. And again, this was an amazing adventure because India is very, very different from, from Europe. So you deal with different cultures, mm -hmm. different people. And in India, they also have very or many, many differences among themselves. They all have, I don't know, I think India has more than 20 uh, official languages there, uh, different uh, religions, etc. So it was, as I say, an amazing experience that really, really opened my eyes um, how to deal with these people as well. And then again, came back to, to or, as I say, I was traveling back and forth to India. And, and then I went to work for, for Amazon here in Luxembourg. And again, I was responsible for European teams. So having people all over the places in, in different countries in Europe. So my team, I had people in Ireland, in, uh, in Scotland, in Spain, in Italy, in Germany. And um, after with my learning and development team as well, I had people in Costa Rica, in Morocco, um, everywhere and I was also one of the key members from the global team so I also was trying to organize things with my colleagues from Japan from China uh, from the US so as I said I've been so so fortunate to work with all these different cultures and, and, and countries and now with LinkedIn what I love about that as you know I'm very um, present on LinkedIn as well is I'm not only have the opportunity to work with all the people from these different countries but now I also have the opportunity to work with a lot of people from Africa as well all right. these countries that I never had the opportunity to work with before so as I say, I, I consider myself very, very lucky to have had the, all these opportunities. And actually, I need this diversity. Um, and personally, as well, that's a good example. Uh, my husband is from Suriname, from South America. Uh, my brother lives in the UK. He has a British girlfriend. So also, personally, it's like uh, I, I can't imagine myself just being in France with, with French people around me. I really, really need the diversity because, yes, sometimes it's challenging, but you are learning so much and you're becoming just a better person just because you have had all these, these opportunities and all these different opinions. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an, an amazing, absolutely amazing uh, exceptional opportunity that you had indeed, you know, to just uh, work with all this, uh, all these people. And I like your explanation in your story. Get ready for the free global app that works for you. WorkApp is set to revolutionize the way people connect in their personal and professional lives. Finally, there's a one-stop shop to help you post jobs or gain employment. Would you like your very own digital shop without any fees or charges? 
a global messaging service. And you can also post all types of events and courses, and you can buy, sell or rent any items you wish. WorkApp is a global platform that helps you find what you need, when you need it, without any costs or delays. So, sign up for this exciting new service today. WorkApp works for you. I want to ask you two things right now. One very short one. How many languages do you know? How many languages can you speak, actually? So fluently five, and then I can also save myself uh, with another one, so with, with Spanish, let's say. <laughs> okay, tell us what, which, are, which are the languages. So you speak, uh, you speak French, you speak English, German, yes. and? German, Dutch, and Italian. Uh, so these ones are, are fluent. Italian, I'm a bit rusty, but after a day, uh, I'll, I'll be back on track again. And Spanish, I, um, I can follow a conversation. I can read uh, books or magazine. It's just talking because I've never really had the opportunity to practice. Uh, everything comes first in Italian. Yes. So uh, it's, um, I always tell myself I'm not fluent, but when I speak with Spanish, speaking, Spanish, Spanish, sorry, Spanish speaking people, they all tell me, no, you speak well, you speak well. So to me, I'm not speaking so fluently, but I, I, can, I can make myself understand as well. Yeah, well, it's understandable because if you're fluent in Italian and Spanish uh, is, is pretty close to Italian, then, you know, it's, it's easy to make confusions. Um, but I'm sure that you have the same, um, so to say, situation when you speak for, you speak, let's say you speak French for a long time and then you need to speak in English with, with someone for a short while, then it's definitely, you're going to have times when you mix words, right? Because Correct. it's natural that um, the language that you use the most, most often to, to come first, you know, right? I mean, yes. does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, you know, it does exactly. And even my French, sometimes I speak to my mom and I'm telling her something and then I said, hmm, that was not really French what I just said. And she said, I know, but I understand what you mean. So you're right. You're, you have some words that uh, when you don't use them so often that just disappear, but they're just at the back of your head. Yes. Yeah, that's right. But we, we need to be open to everything. I mean, I'm a languages lover, if I can say that um, myself. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I can speak a bit of French, a bit of Spanish. I understand Italian. I can speak English, Romanian, obviously. Romanian, yes. Language, but nothing else. I mean, I, at, oh. at some point I wanted to learn German, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't get a chance to go into some kind of class, organized class or something. So I started learning by myself on the internet and I found a really good source at some point, but you know, learning by yourself is pretty challenging. Yes. As much as you want to remain, to keep yourself accountable on the course for, you know, finishing the class or something, something happens and yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very good. You also speak many languages, well done. Yeah, well, English is my, <laughs> is my forte to be honest. <laughs> Um, as I said, I haven't practiced French for more than ten, nine years now. So if I had to speak, probably in the first two days, I would be like almost silent. That's okay. <laughs> Until I, I would have the, the words coming to me. 
In regards to diversity, I want to ask you something else. You said that, you know, there's a lot of positive aspects about, about yes. diversity and why we should embrace diversity. But what was your greatest challenge when working with so many people coming from so many different environments, cultures, traditions, and all gathered in the same place, for instance. I believe that at Amazon, you had the most diversity, the most diverse team, right? Yes. yes. So what was your greatest challenge? And my question goes like, I want to know how you made them communicate efficiently among themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take the last example when I was the senior manager for learning and development. So I took over the team and they obviously knew my name and I had interacted with some of the people, but not all the team members knew them. So the first thing I did was having a team meeting with all of them to tell them uh, what I wanted to do with the team, that, that I needed time to understand everything and to know each of them. And after I organized a one-on-one with each of my team members, I had 24 team members in total, and some were reporting directly to me and some were not, some were reporting to someone who was reporting to me, but I made sure I took the time with each and every single person because I I know that when you are in in a group of people and whether it is virtually or not, some people will not dare to say anything because they're afraid to say something silly or maybe again because of the language, they don't feel comfortable speaking in English or, or whatever. So I, at the beginning, I made sure I had a one-hour discussion with each of them to tell them, okay, tell me a bit about yourself. What are you personally, professionally? What are you working on? What are your challenges, etc.?" And I really took time to listen to them, to, to understand what they were working on, what, they were cha- what their challenges were, and how I could help. So by speaking to each and every one of them, I got an idea of, who they were and how they were as well. Again, I noticed some people, they like to talk and uh, they were really uh, uh, extravert while some others were very introvert, very quiet, didn't dare to, to speak so much. So I could uh, adapt myself to their to their space, to their pace, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then once I had all the, um, the feedback from everybody, then again, I had another team meeting to tell them, okay, now I've spoken to every one of you. Now I know the challenges most of you have. And this is uh, what we're going to do. And I also spoke with my direct reports to say, okay, tell me what you think. Should we do this? Or maybe we should do that. So I kind of set the direction and I explained them. And I also encouraged them to share best practices. So we set up some... Um, some um, team meetings so with my big team once a month but also there were sub teams so I had a, an instructional designer team and I had a training team so the instructional designer team they were also having their own team meetings the trainers team they also had their their team meetings as well and also within the for instance if I take the training team they also had sub teams so the training team in each of the country so they were really going uh, really deep uh, at a local level and then back at, uh, at the European level. So by really encouraging them to, to interact with each other, not to be afraid, I kept, I kept telling them there is no right or wrong answer or right or wrong questions. Mm-hmm. It's just we, 
it's better that we know things so that after we can work to improve them or change them. But if I don't know things, there's nothing I can do about that. So I really was trying to, to show them that I was um, open to, to feedback and really there to, to try to help them and make, make it work. And obviously this takes time. This doesn't happen from one day to another. It takes weeks and months. But I had a lot of people who told me, Virginie, and I especially remember some of the girls in Costa Rica who told me, Virginie, from the first day we talked to you, we felt like, yes, we're in good hands because you're listening, you are open to feedback, you know your stuff and you're really trying to help. And, and that's how we, we did it. And, uh, and it's not, as I said, I was the, the lead, but um, as you know, a leader is not just one, it's a really a teamwork. And it was really a teamwork. We were all working towards the same goal. We were all trying to help each other. And, uh, and of course, sometimes it was challenging because, as I say, you have the different languages, you have the different time zone. If, if there was an urgent issue and it was nine o'clock my time in the morning, well, guess what? They were still sleeping in Costa Rica. So I had to wait a few hours before speaking to them. But in the end, as I say, we, we made it work. We all knew um, where to pay attention, what to take into consideration. Uh, so that again, after we could all work and support each other. And then when I had to speak to my colleagues in the US, when we had these global team meetings, then I could tell them, uh, well, uh, we did this uh, here in, in, uh, in the UK and we did that in Spain and, uh, and in Costa Rica, we have this challenge, etc. So I could really be specific and also said what we were um, we were trying to, to change. And, and one last thing as well, the, the great thing about being diverse is that you, some countries, they have some specific ideas that work and you are able to, to share these practices. So we also try to share best practices. And in some cases, we could adopt them in other countries. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we couldn't, again, for technical reasons or legal reasons, some of yeah. the things that uh, we, for instance, are possible in the US are not always possible in Europe and vice versa. But again, at least you have all the information and you can take meaningful decisions on what to do next. So as I say, for me, the diversity is key because you are learning so much and you are so much stronger together. So you're saying that you got a greater picture by listening to all those people and by understanding all the problems, right? Exactly, exactly. You you don't, if you really want to have the details, you can get them because obviously the people who are in the different countries, they know all the, the little details. But because as a leader, you cannot, you do not have the time and you don't want to go into uh, micromanagement. So you just get the, the highlights of, what's happening or um, of the challenges. And then after, if you really need to dive deep, then you can ask further questions. But by having this high level view of each country and each team, then you're able to have a bigger picture. And then from then you can take decisions and move forward. Okay, that's a very important insight. Um, Let me ask you, you said that you had individual talks with all the members of all your teams. Yes. I want to ask you, um, and I think it's a really interesting question and to learn about. How did you make them open up to you, considering that you were new, considering that you had introverts in the team, considering that they came from different cultures, and maybe at some point they, they considered your questions um, 
maybe they interpreted them in a manner that was not the correct one. So how did you manage to make all the people open up to you and trust you as a leader? That's a great question, Andrada. Um, so I think already people, as I say, even though they did not know me, all of them didn't know me personally. Uh, some of them have obviously heard about me, so they already had, the, had an idea. But what I always do is I also try to make people comfortable. Like I told them from the beginning, listen, we are a team. Yes, I am the lead. I am the manager. But in the end, we are all one team working towards the same goal. So I try to, to put myself at their level in that case so that they understand I'm also part of the team. And the second thing I often do as well, I use humor as well. I make fun of myself. Uh, I, by telling also maybe mistakes I've made or just with my accent, with uh, my French accent, I keep telling them uh, I cannot hide it. It's, it's just me. Even if I try to speak with an American or British accent, I just can't. It, it's me. And sometimes I'm going to make uh, mistakes in English and I'm laughing because I'm like, well, maybe that was not right English. But so people know that I'm also not taking myself seriously. And by doing that as well, I think I gain their trust because they see that oh yeah maybe she's the, the the manager and the leader but actually she's a normal person as well she yeah. seems to be nice she seems to be funny she makes fun of herself she doesn't take herself seriously and I think by by doing that then people know that I'm I'm quite open I'm nice I will listen Yes, I'm driven. Obviously, uh, as a team and an organization, you have results to achieve. So, yes, I will set the right expectations. But I've, also, I've always also told them, it's okay to make mistakes. We all do. The, the key is to learn from it and to not do them again. And if something is broken in a process or in a tool or, or a person needs additional training, then once we know it, we can work on it and improve the situation. So again, by trying to do all these things, that helped. And, and again, I've, I've had people reaching out to me um, to tell me confidential stuff that um, they didn't dare to tell their own managers, not only within my team, but also, as I said, the wider team, uh, when I was as well managing the, the quality team in Europe, I was managing, or I had a dotted line to the quality managers in each and every single country. And I even had people working for these quality managers reaching out to me at some point, telling them, Virginie, we trust you and we don't feel, we, we have an issue and we don't feel we can talk openly uh, with, um, with our manager or with our stakeholders. So we would like to, to, to mention things to you. And to me, that was the best compliment because I was like, Wow, even if people don't interact with me every day, they know that I'm there and they know that I'm going to do my best to help them and that they trust me, that I'm not going to repeat back what they told me, that I'm just going to take the information confidentially and, and try to, to work on it and help them improve the situation. So, so yeah, that's what I've done, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a great compliment indeed. And why do you think that they didn't have uh, the courage to go to their own leaders? I mean, I would like to dive in a bit in, into this topic as well, because uh, we know what a leader is and you're proving it that you actually can be, um, I mean, you are a great leader. Um, but we also know what micromanagers are, right? We know that they only go for the numbers. They 
uh, most of the times they don't actually look at their people as if they're humans, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, why do you think that people would, would come to you? Um, it may be self-explanatory because I just made a difference. I mean, I just highlighted the differences between micromanagers and leaders. But from your perspective, I would like to, to learn, probably you've got some feedback on this type of questions as well so it would be interesting to find from you find out so so in in that example it was uh, as i say a unique example that was the only time it happened in my whole career but they had already tried to speak to their manager but their manager was so and you rightly say was managing them uh, in a micro way uh, really wanting to know every single details of what they were doing um, they didn't feel they could openly speak to, to that person, to their manager, because every time they were trying to say the manager was like cutting them and saying, no, this is my way or the I way extra. So they had already tried several times to speak to their manager and because they felt stuck, they thought, okay, I, we need to go one step higher. And that's why they reached out to me. Um, so as I said, it was a very unique situation. Uh, it was a bit uncomfortable for me, to be honest, because I was like, in a way, I also wouldn't like people uh, if they had something against me that they would go to my manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, in their situation, I think they did the right thing because they really had tried their own way and they didn't have the choice. The, their manager was just not the right person at that, at that place uh, at that time. Uh, that person left actually afterwards. Um, so I think they, I was the last resort and that's why they, 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 they came to me. Uh, as I say, in the end, I, um, I told that, that person as well, when, when you reach out to me, I said, well, listen, I can't promise you anything. I'm just taking your feedback into consideration. Let me see what I can do. I'm going to speak to HR. I'm going to speak to my manager and speak to different people. I'm not going to mention any names and I didn't mention any names. Um, but just, and then I went back to that person and I said, okay, this is what I found out. This is what's going to happen. This is you in the same time, please keep on doing what you, you do. You, you still have a work to do. So I, I tried to, to show them that they had, um, they had my support. Also, I spoke to the manager as well, to their manager. I didn't say anything that I had received a call, but I was also trying to find out from the manager if there were any issues because I always say there are always two sides to a story. So it's nice to to criticize one person, but you also need to hear the other side of the story. So I also spoke to the manager to ask if there were um, any challenges in the team and if there was anything I can do to help. by the way she was answering my questions um, or um, that, that that person was answering my question, I was like, okay, the person who reached out to me seems to be right. He has a fair point because apparently what I'm saying as well, the, that manager was, was, I would say not cutting me uh, when I was talking because obviously I was kind of a manager as well. Uh, she, um, that person had a dotted line to me. But the way she was interacting with me, I was like, okay, I can understand why it does not go well with your team members because uh, of the way uh, that person was talking or interacting. As I say, you need to show you listen, you need to to show empathy. Um, And this person was kind of direct. And as I said, it was mostly my way or the highway. 
So I knew that uh, they they had a point and that they did the right thing by escalating it to me. Yeah. Okay, I understand now. Um, it, from your position right now, uh, coaching women in leadership, mm-hmm. um, if this kind of person would come to you right now looking for help, which I don't think that happens too often because these kind of people are also looking at seeking help from a different perspective than us, so to say. Uh, But if such a person would come to you seeking for advice, what would be the first thing that you would advise them to take as action in order to change their way of managing the team so that they can come closer to the team members? So my first advice would be put yourself in your counterpart's shoes. And that's a rule I apply all the time and I tell everybody. By putting yourself in your counterpart's shoes, whether it's your team member, your colleague, your manager, your client, whoever, you really get another perspective because we all are in our own world and we do things with the best intentions. But sometimes we don't have the full picture. And by really trying to take time to understand the other person, try to understand why he or she is saying certain things, doing certain things, then we may get, aha, uh-huh, I didn't know, or aha, uh-huh, I didn't understand. And by, do, by having this insight, then you can say, well, instead of me uh, doing this, then I'm going to change and maybe we're going to do it differently. So that is my first advice to, to anyone who has problems in a team or managing a team is really taking time to understand the other persons and to get their point of view so that, again, you understand where they're coming from. And this is especially, as I say, valid with other cultures or other nationalities. Everything that you do is based on your own background and your own own upbringing and your own education. Uh, But we all have, obviously, a different different background, different education. And sometimes people act certain ways that may seem strange. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not because they want to act strange. It's just because that's the way they grew up or that's the way they were educated. So... By always taking time to understand the other person's point of view, to put yourself in their shoes, then you get insight that you may not have thought of. And that is always the advice I give. Take the time to do that. Don't assume you know everything. Oh, that's a really strong point. <clears throat> Don't assume that you know everything. I, <clears throat> I've been working with um, several managers over the years. And I know that there are people who simply are closed to listening. To it's it's as if they're closing their ears, you know. They they just cover their ears and they're not open to receiving feedback. <clears throat> um, I wanted to ask you something else. Um, So by having people acting in this way that you just mentioned, you know, by taking the time to understand, do you think that they could at some point um, close the boundaries in such a way that they can become friends even? 
I mean, I know that in the workplace, we're just looking at business relationships. But, you know, when you kind of become so close to a person that you can speak about everything with, then even work goes a bit easier. So by, by understanding people and by coming a bit closer to them, do you think that they can in time build relation, uh, friend, friendships as well? I guess it can, uh, but I always say at work, as you, and you just said it, at work you don't need to be friends with everybody. Um, but I think it depends as well of your uh, personality and the common things that you have. Um, you, it definitely helps if you try to understand the others and you try to listen to what they have to say. Yes, you can become friends. Some of my uh, good friends here in Luxembourg are previous colleagues of mine in, in Amazon. So, uh, uh, because again, we shared experiences, we were there to support each other, to listen to each other, and that's how the friendship grew. Uh, when you do have challenges like that at the beginning, I think it can definitely change a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a two-way street. Sometimes, even if you have the good intentions, so let's take a uh, fake example, you and I, uh, Andrada, let's imagine that you, you're managing me and we had this big uh, challenge and uh, we were not always agreeing with each other. And then now you're listening to me, you try to understand my point of view, now you understand better. We would probably work better with each other. Um, whether we could be friends, yes, that's a possibility. But whether we could not be friends, that's also another possibility because maybe you you don't like uh, dancing salsa for instance or i don't have kids for instance uh, or i have stepchildren i don't have my own children you have two daughters so it depends as well of all the things that people have in common as well so yes you can be friends but it's not always the case i think as long as you as people can treat each other with respect can work with each other others in in a professional way that is the most important and after, if they can become friends, then that's great. That's, that's even better. But as I say, at work, you, I don't think it's possible to get on well with everybody uh, or to have everybody become your friend uh, because you're, you're just so different. So uh, I don't think that's, uh, that's possible. But that's definitely, um, definitely an option for sure. Let me tell you about a new show that I came across lately. It's called One Nation Radio and is that kind of show that simply unites the entire world through the voice of the host. So just go ahead, give it a listen and support John Gora, who is a new podcaster and will definitely appreciate it. Have you heard of Arian? If not, you may want to head to Amazon, look for The Man, The Moon and The Gasket. That's my book. <laughs> I know that you'll fall in love with the main character and with the person that pops up on the way in order to help him unveil that adventure, which is called self-development. So let me know what you think. Thanks. I was interested in in that very specific case that I asked you, you know, when a manager does know Mm -hmm. how to manage a team and then suddenly they change their attitude 
um, I've seen this kind of scenario. So that's mm -hmm. why uh, I was asking. And most of the times when you see sudden changes, um, that person may not be true to mm -hmm. their intentions. Do, did you happen to, to have this kind of situation to manage yourself? when people came to you and I don't know, said that, yeah, that person changed their behavior, but we know that they are not true. They're just putting up a show, so to say. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I'm trying to remember in all the teams that I had. Uh, no, I think I saw and that is also a long time ago. I had also some challenges in one team. People were really making an effort to try to understand each other, uh, trying to understand each other's point of view. But at some point, as I say, it's a two-way street. And if you only want, have only one person who keeps on trying and trying, and the other one, the other person tries maybe for a week or two or a month and then after go back to his or her normal behavior when i call normal previous behavior then you know at some point it's not going to work so i've never had people who were really faking it mm -hmm. um and again i think it's good because we should always be authentic and honest and not try to to be something we're not so I cannot think, and, and as I said, I would maybe need more time, but I cannot think of anyone I interacted with or that had challenges in my team that faked it, let's say, to become, to be something they were not. I don't think. I've seen people really trying hard to improve situations and it worked most of the time, but to say that they became friends in the end, I don't think I've seen that, and not even in a fake way, no, no. So that's my experience, yes. Mm, you're a lucky one then. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Let me ask you, there's one question that I love to ask all my guests in this show, but for you specifically, I want to adapt it to the leadership dis discussion, mm -hmm. discussion that we had. Um, how do you think that a leader should perceive the power of choice and make use of it? Because there's a lot of managers or leaders that may have a tendency to overuse the, the power that they have within their hands. So how do you think, how do you see that a leader should uh, use the power of choice properly, so to say? So to me, to, I, as, I always say a leader is always as good as his or an, her own team. And I think a leader first needs to ask for feedback, to be open to criticism, to get the big picture. And then, then sometimes he or she will have to, to take tough decisions, but only when he has all the information and not just say, oh, because I'm the leader, I want to take this decision because I lead. No, that's the wrong, the wrong way. But if I have a whole team, I have an issue, but decisions need to be made, then I'm going to gather all the feedback that I can to have the bigger picture because I have information, my team members have information. Once I have the big pictures of the pros and cons of a certain situation, then I can say, okay, I've listened to everybody. I've heard the pros, the cons, the risks, the opportunities. 
And now I need to take your decision. And based on what I've heard, this is the decision I've taken. Then that's what a leader needs to do. He needs to get, he or she needs to get feedback, but then at some point needs to take decisions. And sometimes the decisions will not be popular, but by explaining why the leader has come to that decision, then usually people will accept it because they understand the thought process of that leader and they know that the person took that decision, not just like that, but really with all the information he or she had at his or her disposal. Mm -hmm. That's uh, okay. That's fair and valid point. What about women in leadership? I mean, you as a leader, having had all this experience, you definitely know also the feelings that you you experienced during those times mm -hmm. and how people treated you i do hope that you didn't have very tough times but uh, i'm sure that i and hope unfortunately you had your moment yes. um especially if you are let's uh, let's say if you are surrounded by people who are used to a certain way of leading and let's assume that the leader before you was a man and he was popular from some, mm -hmm. for some reason. Um, what, how did you manage to um, handle your emotions, so to say, as a woman in leadership, mm -hmm. given the, um, the example that, that I exposed? Mm -hmm. So I have a great example for that. Um, when I was working in the Netherlands and I was hired in the bank, um, I was hired, so as I said, to set up a team in India and as well to, to manage the, the team in the Netherlands. Um, so in the bank, the majority of my colleagues, they were men, uh, mainly Dutch, and most of them, most of my colleagues were much older than me. And so here I arrived, a uh, woman, younger, French, uh, all the things that, were not, uh, that they were not used to. And I remember my first day, I went to each of the people and uh, shook hands and said, hi, I'm Virginie, I'm the new manager, blah, blah. And I remember that man, he was in his 60s and he looked at me and he says, uh, oh, you're the new manager and do you have any bank experience? And I was like, no or financial background, I said no. And then he was like, do you have any technical background? Because I was in the IT department of the bank. And I also said no. And he looked at me the, thinking like, why are you here? You know, and it's a fair point from his perspective, I fully understand. And I told him, and I said, well, I'm here to manage the team and set up something in India. So I was a bit, again, surprised by reaction, but in a way I was like, okay, understandable from his point of view, I maybe would have reacted the same way if somebody like that would come out of the blue with no previous banking or IT experience. But then again, throughout the month and the year, I always did my best to speak to people, to try to understand what they were working on. And to, when they were needing help, I, sometimes I was telling, was, telling, was telling them, listen, I may not have, I don't have the answer now, but give me some time and I'll look for the answer or I'll find someone who may help you. And I've always done that. And many years later, so three, four years later, this man unfortunately had a, a heart attack and went to the hospital and I went to visit him, etc. And also helped him with the work and arranging everything, etc. 
And then after a year after, he decided to, to retire. Mm-hmm. And on his speech of, uh, of a farewell uh, speech, uh, he said, thank you to the bank because he's learned everything, etc. And he said, there's one person I would like to thank, and it's Virginie because she's always been there to, to support and help. And uh, she's always been there from the beginning. So I really wanted to thank her. And I had tears in my eyes because I was like thinking of the first day where he looked at me thinking, what are you doing here? And at the end, he, I was the only one he thanked personally in front of everybody. Wow. So this was uh, uh, like a victory for me in a way, a very humble moment. And... How to deal with the emotions? As I say, sometimes you feel uh, frustrated, mm-hmm. you feel angry. Uh, I know when I was trying not to cry at work, trying to, to bite my tongue not to cry, uh, or sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it's tough. Um, but again, that's what makes us different. Uh, we know women, we are more emotional than, than men. Uh, I've always tried to be professional, I've always tried to, to control my emotions and most of the time it worked. But as I said, there were one or two times where maybe it didn't work. But all of my colleagues, they, they were very, uh, very supportive and uh, they were trying to comfort me as well. And uh, at the time, as I say, when he, when he mentioned my name, I, I had tears in my eyes and uh, he saw it and everybody else saw it. But, uh, but yeah, that, that showed that I was... Uh, that I was very, very pleased and then humbled by, by him mentioning my name. So, so yeah, it's, it's not always been easy. As I said, as a, as a woman, you, you sometimes have to, to keep your emotions inside. But I also told myself, like with my accident, I was like, I'm just going to do what I need to do. I just, I'm going to be stay focused and work on the, the end goal. Whatever needs to be done, I will make sure it's going to be done. And, uh, and I've always been authentic. I've always been honest. As I said, uh, I, were telling, I was telling them, if I don't have the answer, I don't have the answer. I'm sorry, but I will look for it. And I was always coming back with either an answer or telling them, well, I cannot help you, but this person can help. I've already talked to that person, etc." So they knew that if they were uh, mentioning things to me, they could rely on me and trust me because I was, they were just not talking. And then after I was forgetting about it. And I think that's how I built the trust. And that's how I think I built respect because people knew that, um, and they still know, that if I try to help, I will do my best uh, to, to help people no matter what. As I said, I'm driven for myself, but I'm also driven for other people. I will do everything in my power to, to make sure that they achieve their goals as well or whatever problem they have, I'll make sure I do everything I can to, to support and help them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I want to um, learn a bit more your opinion on why do leaders need to hide their emotions in the workplace? Not only leaders, everyone, because that's, you know, the, the common practice, but leaders generally. Why, why do you think that it's, um, it's, it's required for leaders to hide their emotions? Personally, I do not agree with this, but I want to learn from a leader's perspective. So I was about to challenge you and say, I don't think it's a need. Um, I think the reason why, 
and then I'm going to use need verb in between quote unquote, need to hide their emotions because you don't want someone who is overreacting every time or always crying every time. Uh, I think that you would show that you are not a leader, but you would show that you are weak. However, I do think that once in a while it is okay to show your emotions and to show that you are human. And again, I have another example. Many, many years ago, I had a, a challenge with, um, with a guy in my team and actually wrote a post about that in LinkedIn a few months ago. He was always coming late and he always had all these excuses like he missed the tram, um, his cat was sick, his partner was sick, if he didn't hear his alarm clock, he had to do some shopping, whatever. As I say, I've heard all the excuses and at some point I told him, I said, listen, you cannot be late all the time because you give the work you're supposed to do has to be done by your colleagues, but also we have customers waiting. So I was trying to show him the impact. And I said, if you continue like that, I will have to give you warnings. And again, the next time he was late, so I gave him a verbal warning. And then maybe two, three days later, he was late again. And then I gave him a, a written warning. And then he exploded. He shouted at me in front of the, we were in the, in the team and he shouted at me. And I tried to come down and he didn't want to come down. So I said, well, listen, let's go into a meeting room. So we went to a meeting room and he kept shouting at me that it was not fair, that I was um, exaggerating, etc. Because he was not coming down, I also started to shout at him and, and telling him that his behavior was not acceptable and it started to have an impact on the team. And because I shouted, he was shocked and he stopped shouting at me and he cried. And because I saw him cried and because I was so full of energy and negative emotion, I also cried. <laughs> What the, and we were next to the HR uh, office. The HR guy came in the room because he had heard both shouting. And when he entered the room, we were both crying. And he said, oh my God. I, he said are you all right? And I said, yes, we are. And he said, should I stay? And I said, no, no, it's okay. And he left. And then we when my team member calmed down. And then he told me, you know, Virginie, you're right. I should not have been late so long and so often. And I understand your point of view now. So we, we, we set our things down and we went out of the meeting room and all my team members, and I was in a way scared because I was thinking, oh my God, what are they going to think? They heard me shouting, right? And they all came to me and they say, are you all right? And I say, yeah. And they say, oh my God, Virginie, you're human. And I was like, yeah, of course I am. But then be, because I showed my emotions and because I, I for once, I, I, as I say, lost, lost it in a way, they were so thankful because they were oh my God, and you're human, and you know you always try your best, but uh, uh, are you okay? And I said, yes, yes. And after that, actually, the, my team member who was late never came in late, and everybody else after was really nice, etc. So the, the, well, the point I'm trying to say is, as a leader, you should not show your emotions every day. You have to be professionals, and yes, you have to, to lead by example, but there are some cases that it is okay to show your emotions because people will see that you are authentic, you are vulnerable, and you are human. And that's what makes you relate to other people, and that's how they relate to you, and they even appreciate you even more. So you don't, as a leader, back to your first question, I think you need between quotes to be professional, but in some cases, sometimes you also need to show your emotion, then it's okay. Yes. 
Well, that's what I was looking for, to be honest, because I've seen so many leaders, uh, especially men, right? Because we're talking right now from a women, woman's perspective. But there's men usually are hiding all their emotions. Uh, and in the workplace, some of them act like as if they are gods. But, you know, we... Um, I always wit witnessed an experience with um, my, my, my team leader and at some point, well, the situation was pretty critical. Uh, we had um, a work, workmate killed. She was pushed in front of the subway oh, wow. uh, outside working hours. Uh, so it was nobody's fault, you know, from the office, sure. but... Um, it, it was then when we actually found out that our team leader had a heart. Only then, you know, yeah. and it's sad to, to be led by this kind of people that are trying with all their powers to just look like, um, you know, unbreakable walls. Yeah. I mean... At some point, we may be put in the situations where we actually need to be understood, right? We need to, we have an emergency. And if we, if you go to your leader and you hit this kind of wall, then you won't feel comfortable in talking to them again and in coming to work again. Seriously, I mean, you will only pile up frustrations in time. And I don't know, you will resign at some point. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's only one thing that I want to ask you um, about leadership. And that is, why do you think you told us a lot in this episode, but I want to emphasize one thing in particular. Why is it active listening so important? Because you said that you were listening to everyone, but you were actively listening. And there's a difference between listening and active listening. So why do you think that active listening is so important for leaders? Why? Because you can learn so much by being silent and observing. You can learn so much about the other person. And let me add something about active listening, what I was doing when I was in Amazon. It took me a few months to get to do that, but I finally did it. Every time I had a meeting or one-on-one -on -one with my team members, I was doing it like uh, I was doing it uh, via video. So not only via phone, uh, but via video, because as I told you, most of my team members were in different countries. And by talking to these people almost face-to-face, -face, you not only listen to what they're saying, but you can observe them. Some maybe do not dare looking at you. Some may feel a bit stressed. You see that they are maybe like um, uh, playing with their legs and they are nervous. You, you see whether they are really focused, focused on the conversation or not. And by really, really taking the time to listen, to observe, then you can, again, give more space. If you see that the person is not well or is tired, etc., you can tell them, well, maybe we should, shall we postpone our call to tomorrow or next week? 
or um, is there something you want to share? And sometimes my team members, I could see that they were not well and, uh, and they were telling me, no, sorry, um, I have some personal issues. And I was, tell I was telling them, I say, you don't need to tell me anything if you don't want to, but if you want to share, I'm there for you. So I was giving them as well the opportunity that if they wanted to have somebody to, to share, that because sometimes you just need a, an ear to, to listen, I was there, but I also understood that because I was the manager, maybe they don't, didn't want to share some personal details. And some of my team members were sharing very personal details, while some others were like, no, I'm sorry, I just need time. So I, I think by showing as well that you understand them, that you are there to, to support them, that you're not just this boss who wants to get results, but that you're also a human who understand that everybody has their own challenges and problems, and not only at work, but also at home. People, again, will appreciate you, will, be, will trust you more, and they will follow you uh, more easily because they know that they know they can trust you and that you're there for them. And I think that's, that's the key. And, and you can only achieve that if you're actively listening. If you're just uh, saying, uh, oh, yeah, I'm listening to you, but at the same time you're uh, answering an email or checking your phone, etc., then people will say, well, what's the point of me talking to you because you're not listening. You're not, you don't think I'm important. And everybody, everybody's time is, is, is important, and especially when you are a leader, uh, you need to make sure you take time for your people because your people are the biggest assets that you have. Mm, I like this. I like this. So besides active listening, you also show people, I mean, you also give space to your people. You respect their personal space, right? Definitely. That's a great trait for, for a leader to have. Um, Okay, well, Virginie, tell us, please, where can people find you and approach you in a human manner for the time being? Sure. So, um, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn under Virginie Lemay-Frisde. So, if you're not connected with me, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I accept all invitations and happy to have uh, uh, and connect with uh, amazing people around the world. So that's one. The other thing, I'm also on Facebook as well under the same name. So don't hesitate there as well. And finally, you can also find me on my website. My, web my website is https uh, semicolon slash vlv.coach. So that's my initials, Virginie Lebefrise, so vlv.coach and people can get more information about me or send me a mail directly to virginie at vlv.coach as well. And I'd be more than happy to, uh, to help or connect with you. Awesome. Tell us, um, I want to wrap, wrap it up with this one. What are your plans for the near future, Virginie? So my plans, uh, I really would like to help professionals who want to grow in organization, especially women. Uh, if you are lacking confidence or you don't know how to get promoted or you don't know how to grow in your life personally or professionally, I would love to help. Um, I also would love to help uh, companies who are working in different countries and who may need help from a leadership point of view. 
because of the different languages I speak, I can deliver training in any of the languages I speak, as we mentioned, whether it's in English, in French, in German. So that way I can ensure the same uh, training and the same experience. So these are all the things I, I would like to do, and it doesn't matter where in the world, but be, I'd be more than happy to, to travel and, uh, and do that. So that's, that's my goal for, for this year, trying to, to help more people, and not only in Luxembourg, but all over the world. Mm, that's interesting. Any new perspective about writing a new book? So I have, a leadership? <laughs> I have a few ideas and it's one of them. Um, I just need time. So um, the moment is more, I'm in the brainstorming phase, putting everything that I have in my head um, onto paper. Um, but that's definitely a book I'm, uh, I'm planning to write. Another one actually following some of my tips I gave is on time management. I don't know if you remember, I had the, the series with 20 tips on time management. So I'm also trying to consolidate that as a, as a small ebook as well. Um, so plans, yes, but concrete plans, not yet. <laughs> okay, uh, speaking about tips, I know that you've been part of several challenges. Yes. And it's really interesting, and I would advise everyone listening to this to go and check out your challenges so where can people find all your challenges so just bear with me i i have to double check the address so the main one you can go to is uh virginie lemay so uh, v-i-r-g-i-n-i-e-l-e-m-a-y dot f-y-i dot t-o uh, that's where um, people will see uh, the different tips that I've put, um, not only about um, uh, the challenges that we face, but also about becoming an expat, about time management as well. So that's where people can find them. Mm, awesome. Uh, tell us a bit about your 10 tips, 10 days challenge. I know that you took part in that. What was it? What was the topic of it? Well, it was actually, I was covering a lot, all the things that I were, could pe help people with. So from, uh, about, um, one tip was about how to communicate and not to assume. Another one was how to become an expat. Uh, so the, another one was about how to use humor in a, in a good way, etc. So it was a broad, uh, a broad uh, topics, again, covering all the things that I can help people with. Okay, that's cool. Just for the listeners to know, the 10 Tips and Days Challenge was meant to um, bring up the expert in a person, so to say. So, um, and that the aim of the challenge, actually, the, the, um, the final goal of the challenge was for people from LinkedIn to know what others do and how they can help each other. So again, if you'd like to check Virginie's 10 Tips and Days Challenge, as well as all the others, just go to virginielemay.fya.to. I will leave all the details, um, helping you contact my, my guest in the episode description. So you don't have to worry if you don't remember all the details that Virginie have, have provi provided us with. And I would advise you to stay with us uh, each uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We will bring you some new episodes Tuesday on 
my personal reflections, Thursday on Book Insights with Rahila Khan, and every Friday, a new interview. That being said, thank you, Virginie, for attending, for being my guest for today. It's been a real pleasure to learn so many things about you. As you said, from leadership to uh, diversity to how you can help women and your story and your book and your future plans. So I'm really grateful that you were so open in sharing this kind of information with us. And I wish you an amazing day ahead. Thank you, Andrada. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thank you for reaching the end of this episode. I wish you an amazing day ahead. And please, don't forget, smile at life and life will smile right back at you.